You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are uh, continuing in our uh, um, uh, journey into the question, um, what's the point of Judaism? Um, taking uh, mitzvah by mitzvah, commandment by commandment, um, trying to uh, um, uh, talk through uh, what the rationales for those commandments might be. Um, in the, uh, in the uh, attempt to see you know, uh, um, uh, whether uh, there's a, uh, a particular job uh, that that commandment is trying to get done. What what job is it trying to get done? Um, is it an effective tool for getting that job done? Um, uh, is it is the job a, a necessary job to get done in the first place? Is it something you know? Is it trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist? Um, uh, and uh, and might there be? Uh, is it the is it the most effective uh, possible tool you could imagine to be able to get that job done? Um, and so we've been looking at uh, a number of commandments with those questions in mind. And uh, last week we studied um, the tefillin shel yad, the tefillin of the hand, um, which is understood to be a, a separate commandment from uh, the tefillin shel rosh, the tefillin of the head. Um, there's an interesting debate on it in the Talmud um, about uh, about whether it's uh, whether it's one commandment or two commandments. But uh, um, for those of you who are familiar with the practice, you know that uh, um, uh, you recite two blessings when you put on tefillin, um, which, in, which ought to indicate that, it is, uh, that it's two different commandments, because um, it's two different acts. So at the same time, um, the, the manner of reciting the blessings is very interesting. On the first, for the first uh, um, uh, one, the, the blessings, uh, only one of them is al-mitzvat tefillin. Only one of them is, for, is recited over the mitzvah of putting on tefillin, which indicates a sort of debate or ambivalence the rabbis had about whether the whole thing of putting both things on was one mitzvah in itself, or whether both things were. If both things were clearly um, a, a mitzvah, the blessings probably would have been al mitzvah, you know, the first one would be al mitzvah tefillin shel yad, and the second would be al mitzvah tefillin shel rosh. Um, but instead, we just have one blessing that says al mitzvah tefillin, the other one is lahaniach tefillin. Um, and the second uh, um, indication of, uh, of debate or ambivalence about the rab- from the rabbis about uh, whether it's one mitzvah or two uh, comes from the fact that um, um, you sort of um, undo one of the blessings um, uh, when you uh, put on tefillin. After you put on tefillin, shall, shall rosh, you, you're supposed to say, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuto Le'olam Va'ed. Um, blessed is God's glorious kingdom uh, for forever and ever, which is uh, um, something that you say when you think you may have accidentally taken God's name in vain. Um, and uh, reciting a blessing without a particular um, um, prescribed purpose is understood by the rabbis as taking God's name in vain, um, which is why, uh, in general, um, they say, Sveka de lekula, that uh, you're supposed to treat, uh, in a case where it's doubtful whether you should say a blessing or not, you're supposed to not say a blessing because saying a blessing contains God's name, and you don't want to take God's name uh, uh, for a vain purpose. Uh, so uh, so y- uh, you 
uh, refrain from saying a blessing in a doubtful case. But if you do say a blessing in a place where you're not sure whether or not you should have or not, you say Baruch Shem Kavod Ed afterward, and it sort of nullifies the fact that you had said God's name. So um, uh, uh, the rabbis aren't sure if this is what we should say one blessing or two blessings because they don't know if it's one mitzvah or two mitzvahs. So they do this kind of compromise position of having us recite two blessings but sort of undo one. Um, why would you say if that's the if that's the reason? Why would you say Baruch Shem after you say Shema Yisrael? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. Um, uh, the uh, the the um, uh, it's it's for a different kind of purpose. The the purpose of uh, saying Baruch Shem there is a little bit more mystical. It's understood that uh, um, that it's what the uh, the, angels. the angels say to each other. Um, um, yeah, um, it's not exactly, it's not for the same purpose of uh, sort of undoing it. Um, um, but there's a, um, yeah. Um, so, anyway, Ed, but the, there are a few other examples of like this kind of uh, um, a compromise position. So the, the mezuzah is one of them. There's a debate in the Talmud about whether the mezuzah should be a, um, a upright vertical or completely horizontal. And they resolve the debate by saying it should be slanted 45 degrees, you know, um, both between them. Um, okay, so uh, so we looked at Tefillin Shel Yad, the hand Tefillin, last week, and we're going to look at uh, Tefillin Shel Rosh, the head Tefillin, this week. Um, uh, although there's obviously a lot of overlap when you talk about what the what the reason is uh, behind them, the Torah in some ways gives an explicit. Uh, uh, pronouncement of what the reason for both is um, that it should be a reminder in some way of the of the commandments, and so the question to ask ourselves is: um, Is it effective as a reminder of commandments? Is it supposed to do anything else besides simply remind us of the of the commandments? Might there be better reminders of the commandments? Why do we need so many reminders of the commandments? Right, just in the Shema, right? We have several. Right, you have the Tefillin, you have Mezuzah, and you have uh, Tzitzit. Right, all of which are supposed to be visual reminders of, uh, of of the commandments. So why do we need so many commandments? Um, and uh, in different areas of our lives, and in different uh, uh, venues and places, um, you know, um, why does it stop there? Why does it stop? Uh, uh, why do you have, why do you need two things that you're supposed to wear? Um, Okay, so, so these are all some of the questions. And uh, an additional question, there's there two additional questions I want us to think about. Um, the first has to do with the, uh, um, the, the passages that are written in the tefillin itself. Um, so if you, if you undid your tefillin, um, on tefillin shalyad, you would have one long scroll that it would have four passages written on it, uh, two from Exodus and two from Deuteronomy. Um, on the uh, on the head tefillin, the tefillin shorosh, you would have the same passages, but written on four in individual scrolls. You notice on the tefillin shorosh, they're like little ridges or little compartments, and those are actually little uh, cubbies within the tefillin where there are four different uh, uh, parchments inside with the same passages. Um, so, um, uh, so one question is um, why. Um, were the why do we have those specific passages in in the tefillin? Um, and the second is, what's the use of having those passages written in the tefillin if the tefillin that we have um, are not see-through? Right? You, uh, you know, if it's supposed to be a reminder of the commandments, 
and the commandments in some ways are, 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 are what's embedded in the parchments that, that are written on the tefillin, what good is it if we can't see the, the, the writing? And same similar question for mezuzah, by the way. Or what good is a mezuzah if you can't see the writing? It's, it's uh, why, by the, uh, by the way, uh, a lot of um, people um, have mezuzahs with no parchment because they don't really realize that there's supposed to be a parchment inside because they see that the fact that there's supposed to be a covering on the door um, and they assume that that's the mezuzah, right? Uh, so it's, a, it's a, um, maybe a problematic uh, uh, practice or a problematic law because what it, the, the thing that it's supposed to make it work is having Torah written on it, and uh, some people don't really realize that it's supposed to have Torah written. I imagine there are people out there who have bought unkosher tefillin, you know, play tefillin, um, essentially, without, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, it's, well, I guess, a little bit different than a mezuzah. Um, but if you can't see the scroll, then what good is it having the scroll inside? Right? That's, uh, that's, that's one of the questions. So, Let's look at the passages that, uh, that we have in film. And I want to open it up to, to you to, to hear your thoughts um, uh, um, about, uh, about why we have these uh, passages specifically. Um, I'll tell you that the obvious answer is that these four passages give the commandment to where it's filling. Okay, but, uh, but I, most of the commentators aren't satisfied with that answer specifically. Um, uh, because there's not, there shouldn't be anything special about the commandment to put on tefillin itself. Um, you could have just, if, if that's all you needed, you could have just had that line on, written on the parchment four times. Instead, it has the whole, this whole section of, uh, of Torah. So why the whole section of Torah? Okay, so um, can I have a volunteer to, uh, to uh, read these passages? The first from uh, um, Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 through 10. Top of the page? Yeah, top of the page. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me every firstborn, man and beast. The first issue of every womb among the Israelites is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day on which you went free from Egypt, the house of bondage, how the Lord freed you from it with a mighty hand. No leavened bread shall be eaten. You go free on this day in the month of Aviv. So when the Lord had brought you into the land of the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall observe in this month the following practice. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a festival of the Lord. Throughout the seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. No leavened bread shall be found with you, and no leaven shall be found in all your territory. And you shall explain to your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I went free from Egypt. And this shall serve you as a sign on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead, in order that the teaching of the Lord may be in your mouth, that with a mighty hand the Lord freed you from Egypt. You shall keep this institution at its set time from year to year. Keep going. You're, you're, you have a good reading voice. Uh, then, all right, so that's the first passage, um, at, um, Exodus chapter 13. Um, what, would you, uh, what would you say the theme of that passage is? The Exodus, remember it. So, hold on, two people spoke at once. Abe, what did you say? The Exodus, remember the Exodus. Remembering the Exodus? Same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, the, the theme of that passage is the Exodus. Remembering the Exodus, you have uh, the instruction for the first uh, Passover. Um, good, okay. All right, will you read the second one? 
And when the Lord has brought you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore you unto your fathers, and has given it to you, you shall set apart for the Lord every issue of the womb. Every first issue. Sorry, every first issue of the womb. Every male firstling that your cattle drop shall be the Lord's. But every firstling ass you shall redeem with a sheep. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. And you must redeem every firstborn male among your children. And when in time to come your son asks you, saying, What does this mean? You shall say to him, It is with a mighty hand that the Lord brought us out from Egypt, the house of bondage. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord slew every firstborn in the land of Egypt, the firstborn of both man and beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord every first male issue of the womb, but redeem every firstborn among my sons. And so it shall be as a sign upon your hand and as a symbol on your forehead that with a mighty hand the Lord freed us from Egypt. Okay. So what would you say is the theme of that second passage? Firstborns. Okay. First, what about the firstborns? They belong to God. Firstborn belongs to God. Okay. Well, um, all right. That's that's good. Any other? Uh, I'll, we'll come back to that. Firstborn belongs to God. Any other uh, um, uh, ideas? What uh, um, about the, how, how you would describe the theme of that passage? Well, it's got redemption layered through it. Can you say a little bit more. Um, well, there there are you know there's specific practices, acts, rituals, um, with respect to the redemption of the firstborn. Mm. It's a promise fulfilled. The God right. gave you the land, and now you owe him this. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so the, the, those are two, maybe two different things. But uh, um, so we have one. The theme is that the uh, the, the the firstborn belonged to God. Another possibility or, or a related theme um, is about uh, is about redemption, right? So um, God redeemed you. Um, you have to redeem your uh, firstborn uh, um, child. You have to redeem your firstborn uh, um, animal. Um, uh, um, Abe asked, "If you're not, you know, why are you not uh, allowed to break the neck of your firstborn son?" Uh, it's a good question sometimes. Um, but uh, okay, so uh, good. And then um, uh, Barry, sorry, what, one more time. Can you repeat yours? Similar to redemption, it was kind of. Oh, that's right. You said um, God uh, um, God did something for you, and now it's your turn to reciprocate. Right. Um, right. So, in other words, it's a it's about uh, um, uh, um, our our obligations to God. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. Good. Um, all right. Deuteronomy six. Eddie, you're reading really well. Can we keep going with you? Right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Good, okay. So it, I imagine people recognize that passage even though it's written in English. What, what's that passage? The Shema. The Shema, the Ve'ahavta. Good. Uh, and uh, what would you say is the theme of that passage? Love of God. Love of God, okay, good, good. Any other uh, ideas? Love of God is one possibility. It's about memory a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Do these things so 
Good, okay. Um, but, it's a, but it's a visible reminder of, of what? What are we supposed to try to remember? Uh, okay, good. And what else? Instructions. instructions. Okay, good. Right, the, the instructions which I charge you this day, right? The mitzvot. So love of God, the mitzvot in general. What else are we being asked to remember here? Egypt. Uh, show me where you see Egypt in this passage. Um, well, it's, it's not in this passage, but I, um, I was thinking that it's... Well, the doorposts. Pardon? The doorposts are, are a reminder of Egypt. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. I was thinking more as holistically. Uh, certainly in the other passages, Egypt right. features prominently. Uh, the, the, other, the other thing I would say that this passage is asking us to remember is um, in that first sentence, right, that, uh, that God is one, or here it translates the Lord alone, um, that, uh, that, that we only worship uh, one God. Um, uh, so but we have love of God, we have God's oneness, we have memory, good, good. And, and you're right, Eddie, I mean, the other passages certainly um, uh, re- uh, relate a memory of, uh, of being in Egypt um, and, uh, and, and what that experience was like, especially in comparison to, uh, to redemption from, from Egypt. Um, okay, let's just look at the last one, Deuteronomy 11, uh, which was uh, uh, both Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 6 was um, uh, uh, the por- Torah portion two weeks ago, but at Hanan and uh, Deuteronomy 11 was last week's Torah portion, uh, Akev. If then you obey the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and soul, I will grant the rain for your land in season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in your new grain and wine and oil. I will also provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and thus you shall eat your fill. Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them. For the Lord's anger will flare up against you, and he will shut up the skies so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is assigning to you. Therefore impress my... Press these, my words, upon your very heart. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. And teach them to your children, reciting them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. And inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, to the end that you and your children may endure in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to assign to them as long as there is heaven over earth. Okay, so uh, thank you. What 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 would you say is the theme of that passage? You know, if you behave yourself, if you follow mitzvahs, things good things will happen, mm-hmm. and vice versa. If you don't behave yourself, bad things will happen. Good. Okay. <clears throat> Make these signs available to yourself so you remember. Good. So a reward and punishment for observing the commandments, consequences for observing or not observing the commandments. Any other uh, themes in, in this uh, last passage? Well, again, it, there, it, there's a requirement to transmit, to pass down, to teach, mm-hmm. which is you know, a consistent theme, right? Right, right. Um, what's, what's interesting is, uh, you know, the, the commandment to teach in each of these passages, seems to be specific to the material that came before it, right? In other words, they're not exactly saying, um, uh, remember and teach um, uh, the, the whole Torah, um, uh, higher 
criticism um, of, of biblical authorship aside, because it may be that there wasn't a whole Torah that they were thinking of when, when they wrote these passages. Um, but nevertheless, they're, they're saying specifically, remember this information, write it on your hands. Right, these right, these instructions, these words in particular. Okay, so what's what's the rule? Is there a relationship between these four uh, passages uh, um, other than the uh, the commandment to, to write them on your um, arms? What? Why are these four things with these four themes? However, you understand the themes of these passages. Why are these the ones that we're supposed to write on our arms and and uh, and place as a reminder between our eyes? What's special about these four things? You have the uh, you have the Exodus from Egypt. Um, you have um, uh, the the um, the the notion that all firstborn belongs uh, to God. Um, you have um, uh, God's oneness in the commandment to love God. You have the uh, um, consequences for observing or failed, failing to observe the commandments. What is there? Is there a relationship between those things? Why those four things? Present, future. Okay, can you say more? Um, so the, the, historic, the historical, uh, you know, you see on this rhyme, the Exodus, the historical thing, how to behave now and what the consequences will be for the future. Good, okay. Past, present, future. Other ideas? Well, with the exception of the third, right, the first, second, and the fourth, um, talk about what God has done, how God has acted, right? Mm-hmm. There's the there's the Exodus. Um, there are the aspects of the fields. The third is a little light on on talking about what God's done. It, as you mentioned before, it talks about the Lord, God being one, and then symbolizing that in, in various ways. Mm-hmm. Well, good. It was so, but if you know, uh, in some ways, it's related because if God is one, then it means God does everything, right? Um, so, uh, so you have you know um, specific actions that God does, and then a statement of, uh, of you know, lest you think that that's all God has done, right? Then uh, uh, know that uh, God is responsible for for so much more. Um, so I want to think about the um, the specific things that it points out because it could have, you know, if we, if we wanted to point out the things that God has done, which are which I think is important, um, it could have picked any number of, uh, of 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 stories in the Torah. So why why these? Why doesn't it have the have a passage about the creation of the world? Why doesn't it have a passage of God's promise to Abraham? Why doesn't it have? Uh, um, the story of the Red Sea splitting, you know, um, why, why these things? Well, one thing led to the next, going out of Egypt led to the, uh, entering the land of Israel. Uh, then once you're there, you gotta, you gotta remember everything so you can love God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in order to love God, you better behave yourself. Okay. Yeah, if you're doing it, you go. So, go ahead, Chazan. Yeah. No, no, I'm just, well, that, there's, a nice, there's a nice sort of, I guess, historical 
flow to that argument that, that mm -hmm. he was presenting. Mm -hmm. And uh, simply then at the end that, uh, um, you know, if you behave, you will have uh, reward and length of days. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, I think there's, there's simply the four places where we have the mention of, um, of tefillin. And uh, as you said, um, uh, these are parts of the Torah written at different times. That, that, um, uh, is there necessarily un a unity wi within that? Uh, you know, that these four different areas comp uh, comprise some um, um, basic structural wholeness to, to Judaism. I think that we can make an overlay to, to say that, but mm -hmm. I don't know if that necessarily it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's true. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's my take. So it's interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, I, um, whether or not they uh, um, uh, actually you know, um, uh, comprise the essence of what it means to be Jewish is a, is a challenging question. Um, on the other hand, <clears throat> on the other hand, I mean, if, it's, if, if we understand this feeling not as, uh, as um, the reminder to, to, uh, uh, of, of these specific passages, right, but the act of putting on feeling is supposed to be a reminder of, of, of the, 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 the Torah and of, uh, of uh, Jewish tradition in, in its unity, um, then I think it's not uh, unfair or unreasonable to, uh, even if it's a, pro a projected overlay onto these passages, to, uh, to, to see them as, uh, as constituting or attempting to constitute in some way the core of what it means to be Jewish. Um, and, and I think that you've raised uh, some good ideas here. I just want to give a couple of more things. Um, so the first is uh, um, uh, the uh, the 20th century philosopher Franz Rosenzweig wrote a book called The Star of Redemption, uh, and uh, um, and and what he said is that uh, um, uh, um, much of the symbolism and uh, and narrative of uh, of the Jewish tradition um, can be. Um, uh, uh, can can be uh, sort of distilled to the interaction between six different points, and you know, say it's six point star, star of redemption, right? So um, the the point and the points are um, God, Torah, and the people Israel, um, creation, revelation, and redemption, right? Um, uh, so uh, and you actually, if you you know, looking at these passages, you have the interplay of all of those points on the star, right? You have the relationship between uh, uh, you have um, creation in the sense of uh, um, the the firstborn belonging to God, um, right? So you, uh, literally, you have creation, the creation of new life, uh, but the idea that all life, even uh, the life that parents think is a it feels is most reflective of their own power as human beings to be uh, to be involved in the creative act um, to say that those uh, that 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 especially that issue of the womb belongs to God as if to say that uh, that 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 everything belongs to God and everything is the result of uh, God's having created it you have um, you have revelation um, in the in in the sense of uh, of, of Torah, right? And so, in, in some ways, the passage in Deuteronomy um, uh, eleven um, that talks about the uh, commandments with with the with with rewards and, and punishments is in some way about um, the the revelation of Torah that there is a set of instruction that it matters whether or not you uh, follow it or not. 
uh, and you have redemption, right? You have, uh, in a couple of different places, the exodus from Egypt uh, here. Um, and you have God, of course, right? You have the Shema, God is one. You have uh, God in a number of different places. You have Torah, um, which you have, in a few, obviously, certainly in the Deuteronomy 11 passage, but in some ways throughout uh, all these passages. And you have uh, the people Israel, right? The formative experience of the, of the people Israel is the experience of the, uh, of, of the Exodus, um, uh, right? So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's what the Lord did for me when I went free from Egypt, um, uh, saying that uh, that uh, um, that what 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 uh, the the core of being Jewish is being forged in that uh, in that Exodus experience. Um, so uh, uh, and and also the the rabbis interpret the uh, uh, the idea of God being able to um, uh, the firstborn belonging to God as God being able to uh, select particular nations as God's uh, chosen people. Um, and it's you, one of the subversive things that the Torah does pretty consistently from the book of Genesis on is um, overturns what, uh, what, what is usually the natural order of things in the ancient world that the firstborn child would get the, uh, would get the birthright and therefore be the, um, the favored uh, child of the, of the parent in, in each place, um, right? Starting with, with Cain and Abel, right? It's the younger child that uh, that actually uh, takes over the birthright and becomes the favored one of uh, of, of the parents, um, as if to say that uh, that that it's that that God has control over who is the uh, favored uh, child, who is the favored nation, and not any other internal or external factor. Right, and so the 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 focus on um, uh, consecrate every firstborn to me um, is is in a way saying that uh, um, that God is the one who decides which uh, child has prominence in the family, because after all, the Jewish people are not um, the firstborn. Right, we're not the first in the line of uh, uh, of, of uh, uh, throughout the. Um, Throughout our history, we're not the first form. Um, so I want to show you just really quickly what uh, uh, Sefer Echinuch says about uh, why we have these passages. And, and he does indeed say, I actually don't know if I handed it enough there. Um, he does indeed say that this is a, uh, a, a thematic underpinning of, uh, of all of Judaism. So here's what he says. We'll just read in English because of the time. Um, I'm in the middle of the paragraph uh, on page 281, the paragraph that starts 422. Um, The reason why these four parts, these four Torah portions, were chosen above the other sections of the Torah, right? Could have been any sections in the Torah. Oh, here, sorry. That's all right. There you go. The reason why these four parts were chosen above the other sections of the Torah is that these contain the acceptance of the kingship of heaven. Uh, in, in Hebrew, the phrase is Kabbalat O Malchut Shemaim, the acceptance of God's sovereignty. Um, um, uh, and the oneness of the eternal Lord, right? So we see that in the Shema passage, that God is one. Uh, God's sovereignty, right? We, uh, we see that in a couple of places. We see that in God's ability to mete out reward and punishment for, uh, uh, for observance or not observance of the commandments. We see that in God's dominion over Pharaoh and his ability to redeem the, the children of Israel from Egypt. 
the theme of the exodus from Egypt, which compels a belief in the creation of the world as a new entity. That's an, that's a pretty radical statement. The idea that God could uh, redeem the Israelites from Egypt is proof, according to ancient rabbis, that God uh, created the world from nothing. Uh, because only a God who created the world from nothing could have control over nature that was involved in, uh, in, in the plagues that led to the redemption from Egypt. Only a God that created the world from nothing could have dominion over kings, etc. Right? So, um, so the idea that God is the, is the prime mover, um, uh, according to Sefer Echinuch, is, um, uh, is one of the uh, foundations of Jewish belief, um, which Maimonides uh, um, um, uh, ultimately says as well. Um, and the watchful care and regulation of the earthly realm by the eternal Lord. Um, and these are the foundations of the Jewish religion. Um, so what he's saying is that the reason that we have these four passages specifically in, in the tefillin is because they form the core of what it means to believe as a Jew. Um, they, they don't necessarily remind you of all the commandments, but they keep you centered in, uh, in, in what a Jew is supposed to, how a Jew is supposed to see the world, see their relationship to God and see God's relationship to everybody else. And, um, and the, and, and the components of it are God's authority, right? Uh, so, uh, God's, uh, um, uh, ability to command and to, to, um, uh, na- navigate things, um, the, the exodus from Egypt, um, the, uh, the, the fact that God um, not only has the authority to govern the world, but actually is involved in governing the world, um, and, uh, and God's oneness. Right? And he says, these are the four core elements of Judaism. Maimonides has uh, um, uh, 13 principles of faith. He just boiled it down to four. And he says that these four are, are, are based on the themes of this passage in Tefillin. But the last question I have is, okay, let's grant that, right? These, let's say he's right, that these are the four passages that form the core of what it means to be Jewish. And by binding them on our arms and between our eyes, um, we are, are, are supposed to be reminded of these four elements of, uh, of Jewish belief. What good are they? And what good is the act if we can't see or read the passages? I'm not the only one that doesn't have uh, see-through to fill in, right? So what good are they? What good? What good is it? What good is the is the ritual if we can't uh, actually see the passages? You're supposed to remember some of it, and then you're supposed to read it in the, in the Torah, so you can read other things in the Torah at the same time. Mm. Good. Okay. So that's a that's a really profound statement, right? Because because it's hidden, right? Um, we have to commit it to memory, right? Uh, in other words, so if it were written out, we could just say, okay, well, I'll just look at it and I'll read it, right? But what what it's actually trying to move us to do is say it's in there, but in order to know what it says, I have to memorize it, right? Um, and because uh, it's no good to me unless I memorize it. So we have the the visual reminder. Uh, not of the words themselves, but of the of our responsibility to to make them an internal and integral part of ourselves. And and uh, and uh, any other thoughts? Well, some of it's recited in the liturgy, right? Right. <clears throat> I mean, when you put on tefillin, you say Shema. Right. That's right. And then you, then you will say it a little bit later in the in the right. davening, right? Where you have two of the passages, correct? Uh, at least. Right. Um, so you do get that, but you don't have the other two passages in the, in the liturgy, which is interesting. You know, why, why didn't the rabbis make those part of the, um, Shema cluster 
as well? Um, it's a good question that I don't have the answer to right now, but it's, it's worth raising. Uh, but I'll leave with that. I mean, I think that that's actually a really great insight, Abe, that, uh, um, that, uh, um, that, that we were supposed to have these passages um, to remember what, 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 is, what is meant to be the core of uh, being Jewish, the core qualities of, uh, of Judaism, but we don't see them um, to say to, to, because the reminder is to commit them to memory. Uh, to make them uh, part of ourselves, to, to, to um, you know, uh, engrave them into our hearts, right? And that's, it ultimately says that, right? Where's the phrase that I want to see? Um, um, I'm not finding the passage I want, but the uh, um, the the idea to to impress them on your on your hearts, um, and I think that that's ultimately what it's getting at. That you wear them as a, as a, the, the sign is not of the um, of the words itself. The words itself are are uh, what you do as a response to that sign. Right, that's true. Um, okay, and we'll uh, stop there and continue on next week. Have a great day. Thank you.